get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Guess what day it is? F Hey, good morning, everyone. It's 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Michelle Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's great to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman. And on on a bright and beautiful day in St. Louis, literally seconds, literally seconds before we came on the air and the red light came on. We're talking about murder and true crime in the St. Louis metro area. There has been some <laughs> interesting datelines based in the St. Louis area, Randy. So I, I guess we're not good at it then if people are getting caught and they're telling the story on Dateline that we aren't probably the, the best at hiding our true crimes. Well, maybe the police and investigators in the St. Louis area are just that good that they're able uh, to solve the crimes and Dateline knows that. And so they have all the info and they want to expose it. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe okay. that's it. So let's give our law enforcement folks uh, a round of applause. Can and, I uh, say something about a dateline? You know yeah. it's a good dateline if Keith Morrison is the narrator. Ah. <laughs> and then what? <laughs> <laughs> if you see Keith in the jeans and the leather jacket standing in yep. a field, you know it's going to yep. be a good dateline. Was she all right? <laughs> <laughs> I love how it always starts. It's like a flame. It sparks love, but it can also spark murder. (laughs) And it's just like a hand striking a match. (laughs) But you're like, yes, Keith, I am settling in for two hours of this arson murder combo. And and they're all super long and they're all so enthralling that you have to stick around for the entire two hours. And you know what's amazing? At the end, it's always the significant other. Always. It's always the boyfriend or the side piece or the or the wife. It's always, but they yeah. make you think maybe, maybe it's the creepy yeah. bit, someone who came into your business or maybe it's the neighbor, but it's always the significant yeah. other. Emily likes true crime too, so it's, it's good to have a true crime fan here in, uh, in the in the studio. Hey, it's uh, Wednesday, <laughs> so that means Wednesdays with Wayno at 8.15. David Schoenfield from ESPN.com. Coming up at the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to talk mascots in the 9 o'clock hour as well. Brad Thompson's got a great story about mascots for us, so uh, Brad from the Fast Lane will join us as well. Brad has a good story about everything. I loved yeah. during the game last night when he was talking about his debut and what Scott Rowland said Isn't to that him. Funny? That was I was <laughs> laughing so hard when he said to him, wow, a lot of people here. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> last night was fun at the ballpark. The Cardinals get to the bottom of the first inning without allowing a run. Jack Flaherty was, uh, he, he was fine, except for the fact that he was just really inefficient. But the Cardinals are fortunate in that they have some really good hitters. They have some 
hitters that didn't really show themselves until last night to be that great. But one of the great hitters is Goldie. Behind the plate, catching Steven Strasburg, and that is launched out to deep left field. Home run number 250 in the career of Paul Goldschmidt. His first of the year jumped on that pitch, and it's home run number 250. And Michelle, he leads baseball in hard hit balls, balls that are hit 95 miles an hour or more. He has 25 of those and nobody else has more than 22. And that one was hit hard. He crushed it. That doesn't that stat about hard hit balls doesn't surprise me because we've seen that from Goldie smashing the ball. But number 250, good to do it on a night when the team obviously runs away with a win. But he's good, Randy. He's good. The Nationals did tie the game in the top of the third inning. Bottom of the third, though, Tommy Edmond gets on base for number 28. One pitch. Arenado hits it down the left field line. It is gone! Nolan Arenado, two-run homer. And the Cardinals are back on top. Were they done? No. The surprise (laughs) crew. Paul DeYoung gets on base Mm -hmm. to bring up Marp. Like that. Just like that, stay fair. Down the right field line, gone! Off the foul pole. A mammoth blast off the bat of Carpenter. Let it rip on three and one. We were all Danny Mac in that moment. Stay fair, stay fair. So many of us want it for Mark. We want him to find it again. We want him to get into that rhythm. So I loved seeing that moment for him. And obviously, so did the fans of Bush Stadium. Fans want to give him a curtain call. Good for you, Matt Carpenter. How does that make him feel? Great. I was watching the post game last night, and he talked about how meaningful that was to him. But I said to you yesterday off the air that part of the the worst thing I think about this job is when you have to be critical Mm -hmm. of someone's performance and of someone that you genuinely respect and appreciate. And that's what it is for Matt Carpenter. So many of us in St. Louis really have a great affection for Matt Carpenter. He's been an incredible Cardinal and he's been great for the team in so many moments in his career, but sometimes players get in ruts and that's what we have to do is evaluate the performance. And so from a personal standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, I was so happy to see him get that moment last night and Mike Schultz said that there was going to be a harvest coming yep. and maybe he was right and we were wrong. I hope so. I hope so too. I hope so. But you know he got on what was this two games in a row where he's made some things happen. So there you go. Matt Carpenter. 5-1 after three innings and the Cardinals scored five in the ninth. Justin Williams with an RBI hit. Austin Dean with a sack fly. Goldie with another RBI hit to score a pair. Arenado with another RBI hit. DeYoung with an RBI hit. Marp with a sack fly. Justin Williams with another two-run hit. And up and down the lineup last night, Michelle, Edmund a couple of hits. Goldman or Goldschmidt a couple of hits <laughs> with three RBIs. I don't know. Edmund Gold, Goldschmidt. Edmund. Goldman, yeah, Goldenado. Gold. Yeah, there you go. There's a lot. Uh, Goldie with a couple of hits, three RBIs. Arenado, a couple of hits, three RBIs. DeYoung with a hit, scored a couple of runs. Marp, one for four with the three RBIs. Dylan Carlson goes three for four. Kisner goes one for three. Justin Williams, two for four. The Cardinals up and down the lineup hit. And then Jack Flaherty goes five innings. He does throw 96 pitches, strikes out six, and doesn't walk anybody. And then it was Cabrera, Whitley, and Ponce de Leon. And 
Ponce allowed a couple of runs in the ninth as the Cardinals win it 14-3. to Last night was the Oprah game, Randy. It was like the Cardinals offense. You get a hit. You get a hit. You get a hit. You get a home run. Everybody got to get in on the fun. It was fantastic. And uh, I guess the, the only real blemish on the whole night is the fact that Ponce did allow a couple of runs, but you're already up 14-1, and a lot of people had already said, okay, we got this, we're happy. Yeah, I think a lot of people had already resigned to the fact that the Cardinals were going to win the game, but if we have to nitpick, yes, of course. And I wonder if KK comes back, I wonder where Ponce fits on the roster, not just in the rotation, but on the roster. Uh, Meanwhile, the Reds lost last night. The Giants beat the Reds, so the Cardinals coming along in the Central Division, and heck, they've only played 11 games, so it's still really, really, really early. But the Cardinals sitting there at six and five with Milwaukee. The Cubs are five and six. The Reds are seven and four. And I kind of have a feeling that for a while that this division will be a jumble. I said at the beginning of the season, I still believe that the Cardinals will probably hit their stride in June. Mm-hmm. They they are not a team that has meshed yet. No, but some good positive signs early, some things you'd, of course, like to correct, but we'll see which of those trends persist as the season goes on. I still like the Cardinals. I think the Brewers are going to be right there with them. It's going to be interesting to see. I think the Cubs are such an interesting story, and they continue to be. So, yeah, let's see where all of these teams are by June. Your St. Louis Blues are back in action tonight. They take on the Avalanche over at Enterprise Center, and oh, by the way, it's an early start, 6.30, 5.30 pregame here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and then Curbs and Joey will have the call as the Blues try to move up in the standings a little bit more. No games in the Honda West last night, so the Blues still in fourth place in the division. I wonder if the canceled game earlier in the week maybe disrupted their momentum at all. I hope not, but it's always a possibility. I hope not, too. But just in speaking with David Perron yesterday about getting there, getting ready for the game, then it's canceled, then you have to adjust your travel schedule, all of these things. Because the the Blues, I think momentum is huge for this Mm -hmm. team. And so I hope that the redirection of that game and them having to not play for a little bit doesn't impact them. And this is a team that in 2019 played up to the level of the competition that they were playing as they went down the stretch. You remember when they went into, I think it was Ottawa and Buffalo and lost a couple in a row. They were so hot. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, well, these are walkovers. And I think they might have even gotten shut out in Ottawa in uh, the stretch run in 2019. And then they step up and they win against great teams. Well, you're only playing great teams basically from here on in. So Maybe that'll benefit the Blues that Colorado is the opponent tonight rather than Anaheim. Hopefully, because <laughs> you have no choice but to play at all all levels when you're playing teams like Vegas and Colorado. couple of notes from the National Football League. Former Steelers running back James Conner goes to the Gridbirds on a one-year deal. I don't know why the Cardinals would sign him, but they did. And uh, Mariners left-hander James Paxton, who has not been healthy now for two or three years or four years, uh, will have surgery on his left elbow, not Tommy John surgery, went on the 10-day IL. And he's one of those guys, Michelle, that because he's left-handed is going to keep getting jobs even though he can't pitch for you. I'm a lefty. You're a lefty. Don't you wish that you would just be a pitcher? Yeah, I I wish that I would have been forced to pitch as a kid. (laughs) I could pitch till I was 45. It could have been Jesse Orozco. You could have made so much money. Yeah, it would have been ridiculous. <laughs> and James Paxton is that guy. And then you could have done media after, Randy. You could still have this right. career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at all the lefties that are doing baseball broadcasting and stuff. They're, they're all over the place. 
Hey, Ricky Horton. There you go. And Ricky Horton's fantastic at it. I could have been one of those guys. I could have been Ricky. No, I would have wouldn't have been as good as Ricky. But still, I Ricky's pretty good. Could have been on the air. That's right. <laughs> We're off and running on Character and Smallman. Uh, next up, it is Wednesday, so that means it's Ask Uncle Randy Day. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. Whatever question you have of me, it might be a baseball question, it might be a grilling question, it might be a relationship question. Well, if you have one, Ask Uncle Randy is here, and Uncle Randy's ready to help you out, kids. That's next on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Get your text text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Ask Uncle Randy. And coming up, we're going to talk about Matt Carpenter. And a couple of days ago, Mike Schilt, the Cardinal manager, said that he couldn't fathom what Carpenter was going through because he was hitting the ball so well, yet not getting any luck out of it, not getting any real production out of it. And he said there was a bountiful harvest on the way for MARP. After last night, we want to hear from you with Rhino Shield mic drops with texts. Do you believe now that a bountiful harvest of hits is on the way for one Matt Carpenter? Is this like a Jordan Bennington? We're coming. The hits are coming. Sometimes it's a process to get fixed. Sometimes it's an event. Sometimes it's a ball that leaves the ballpark and hits the foul pole. And if it's two feet to the right, it winds up being nothing, but it hits the foul pole and it winds up being one of the biggest things that could ever happen to you. And you say, oh, wow, let's go look at that. And that changed everything for a guy. Hopefully that'll be the case. Hopefully. We'll give you our opinions coming up in the next segment. Want to jump into some Uncle Randy questions? I'm ready. From the 314, Dear Uncle Randy, I have a neighbor that tends to annoy myself and the rest of our street because of the nine cars he and his family have. They take up all street parking on our small street. When I have friends or family over, they have to park on a side street and walk over to my house. What can I say to this neighbor to leave some open spots near my house? I would hope that there's a homeowners association. There has to be a limit for the number of cars that one family can have, unless they have a 16-car garage, Alex Petrangelo. <laughs> right. But I don't know how you tell a family, yourself or your neighbors, yeah, you have too many cars and you're taking up too much space. I think you have to go to higher authorities than yourself. That would be my recommendation, whether it's a homeowners association, a neighborhood association, or other authorities. Yeah, call the authorities. Also, is are nine people living in the home That's and driving problem. the cars? Yeah. Because if not, that doesn't seem fair for this person to just park their extra vehicles. Their car on, collection. Their car collection on the street. Now, if you have a bunch of maybe older children living in your house, I don't know, with COVID, a lot of people move back home with their parents to save money, and they have vehicles and they don't fit in the driveway, That's there's really nothing that they can do about that. However, if it's just a collection of cars that are sitting on the street, get them towed. And if somebody (laughs) is rude enough to take up all the parking spots, if you do say something, they're just going to roll their eyes. That's why I suggest going to a higher authority. Heck, in my neighborhood, you can't even have a permanent basketball hoop. Well, you, I guess you can because people do put them in. But you're technically not, according to the Homeowners Association, not supposed to have a permanent basketball hoop in your front yard. Really? Yeah. What if the kid needs to work on his skills? With a Z? With a Z. Then you put them in. And I don't know if you ask the Homeowners Association and they allow you, but multiple people have indeed 
in my neighborhood put permanent basketball hoops in, and I don't care. I, I know there, there might be people. Somebody thought enough of that to put it into the agreement, right? Yeah. I don't know why. I don't care. You understand, though, Randy, that ball is life. Yeah. So you ball know, don't lie. You know that people need a hoop because they need to work on their skills. Sometimes right. you have a rough day. Go play a little pickup basketball in your in your driveway. People yeah. need it. And horse. Are they going to complain when I sit out in my front yard and hit golf balls at their basketball hoop and maybe miss and hit a window or something? I don't think so, because you've allowed the hoop to exist. What's your complaint? It seems like a silent agreement <laughs> that you can both do things that maybe aren't in the in the yeah. neighborhood's best interest. All right, from the 314, Dear Uncle Randy, my wife does not like me going to the casino. I haven't gone in the past four years. Mm. She's taking our daughter away for the weekend. Can I go to the casino and not tell her? As long as you don't lose money and make her aware of it. Yes. You, you you have held up your end of the bargain by not going to the casino for four years. And if she's not going to be there, if she's going to leave you to your own devices, and vices being the operative part of this, uh, yeah, you go to the casino. Just don't lose too much money so that she knows about it. I have to disagree with you, Randy. I think that if you lie and lie by omission and she finds out you're just in for a world of trouble. Uh, you need to make sure that the omission is is safe. That's all. It's it's like the tree in the forest. If she doesn't know about <laughs> it, did it happen? What do you think about this? What if you call her or text her from the casino? You say, oh, no, my, no, no, my no, buddies no. and I got together. No. We ended up here. I know you don't like it. I'm not going to spend a lot of money, but I just wanted nope. to be up front. Nope. There's no secrets between us, babe. Nope. <laughs> just lie. You need a secret here. No, just omit. But what if she calls and says, hi, honey, what'd you do tonight? What are you going to say? Oh, I grilled a pork steak and watched the Cardinals game. Lie. Sat at home. Relaxed. Thought about how much I loved you. Lie. You were at the roulette table. You were playing seven black. I did some running around. Ran some errands. (laughs) An errand being the casino. Hey. What if she says, what errands? I, I handled all the errands before I left. Don't get yourself backed into a corner here. Say, oh, my cell phone's dying. Gotta go. Love Um, you. Bye. The other thing you can say is, it'll be a surprise when you get home, and then make sure that there's a surprise waiting when she gets home. Hopefully with your winnings. Okay, from the 314, Uncle Randy, what if he wins at the casino? Does he tell her? He buys her something, but doesn't tell her where the, you don't have to tell her where the money came from. But yeah, you buy her something. But this seems like a big point of contention if she really doesn't want him to go so much so that he's avoided it for four years. Yeah, and that's one of the issues that we have. We don't know. What the backstory is, if she is just against gambling or if she's afraid of him becoming a, a compulsive gambler, my guess is I'm, I'm relating him to my life where I'm not a compulsive gambler. And I I, I don't go to uh, my thought process is, is that she probably just is somebody who's anti-gambling. And I think he's lost a chunk of change. And really? that's why she's not wanting him to go. Well, if that's a different thing. See, if if you know the backstory, it's easier to give an answer if you're the uncle. But I'm Right, that's true. You need the context here. Right. But I'm just guessing that she doesn't want him going into that smoky environment with the boys. Well, she's going out with the girl, so he can go out with the boys one night. See, I always think it's better to not lie because Oh, it is. There's the no mess doubt. that you have to clean up after and yep. and then you're going to 
it, she's always going to hold it over your head. Yep. You lied about the casino. It's going to be something small, too, where you don't take out the trash or something. And she's going to be like, really? First you lie about the casino. Now you don't take out the trash. Yep. It's always going to compound if you lie. It is. But I'm just trying to do what's most fun for him. But and he's going to have to pay for it for, for him. a long time. So yeah. I hope this casino trip is a blast. So, well, because she's going to find out, Randy. She's going to find out. We always find out. Okay. You I, know what? Because this guy's probably going to leave a receipt or something in his pocket. She goes to do the laundry, pulls it out. It's like, what is this from Lumiere? You liar. I can solve all these problems. Okay, all the problems that might come forth with a situation like this. Head on over to Fairmont, Illinois, to yes. the former Fairmont Racetrack. Head to the sportsbook, the FanDuel sportsbook, the new FanDuel sportsbook that used to be Fairmont Park. And if this is about gambling, just use your uh, your time well spent betting on some sports and some ponies. Now, the casinos are different. You're being entertained over at the mm-hmm, Fairmont Sportsbook. Mm-hmm. And use that as your gambling vice. There's great food options. Mm-hmm. They have tons of couches. So many things. you could Best-in-class customer service. Use the promo code SMALLS if you download it on your phone and sign up. But you can go there and watch games. Right. There's tons of TV, self-service betting kiosks. So you can say, I went to watch the game somewhere. You don't have to lie and say that you went to the casino. Right. Bingo. Uncle Randy, this is why you're so good. This is why you are so good. From the 636, dear Uncle Randy, I have a coworker next to my desk. She annoys the hell out of me. Up to this point, I've been able to ignore her the best I can. But do I confront her about being annoying or just let it be? My first suggestion would be to go to your superior and ask if you can move. And if not, then I have to say, and, and put, again, I always go back to putting it on yourself. You make me feel annoyed. Whatever she does that annoys you, say, you know, when you talk on the phone so loudly, that tends to have an effect on me and it it causes me stress. Could you please not talk as loud on the phone? Something like that. But my first guess, if I were to be this person that had the person that had the desk near you, my first thing would be to go to the boss and say, hey, can you move me? She kind of annoys me. And see if, (laughs) say, and use the old, uh, I, I could be so much more productive if I'm not near her every day. That's great. Productive. Yeah. That's a key word. Tell the boss you can be more productive if he moves you, and then try to get moved. I love that. Great one, Randy. Last one from the 573. Dear Uncle Randy, what would you suggest as a punishment for landing in last place in a fantasy football league? I'm thinking about having the loser dress up in something crazy and hold up a sign saying I suck at fantasy football, but do you have anything else that would be potentially even better? I appreciate it. Well, find out, first of all, whether or not that person in last place hates hard-boiled eggs. And if they do, then force them to, not force them, just coerce them into eating a hard-boiled egg. <sighs> I'm a girl who pays my debts, but I was you not did. pleased. My suggestion would be that you do what you just did, what, what you suggested. Get them to, and it depends on what sort of fantasy football league you have. Like, you don't want to haze anybody. But if you can get them, go to Goodwill get the person in last place if it's a man a dress 
and hold up a sign that says, I'm horrible at fantasy football. Yeah, just do something that is humiliating for them. Come and, and make it a group effort. So at the beginning of the year, when you hold your draft, okay, the last place person is going to have to be punished. Let's come up with a punishment and come up. You can all brainstorm. That's what we did to come up with punishments here and then come up with that punishment for the last place person. I love that. Do it at the draft so that everybody agrees that it's something humiliating that everybody will be able to see. And then as the season goes on, you know what the punishment is. So it adds that extra layer of anticipation. That's good. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a fantasy football league where someone had to pay off the... uh, the bet at the we end? We never did punishments, no, for last place. As a matter of fact, for a long time, we had it set up so that you could bail. You could trade draft choices, and you could just bail out. We don't... Uh, last time I played fantasy football, we set it up so that you couldn't trade future draft picks anymore mm-hmm. because people would just quit. But I, I do like the idea of a punishment because that keeps everybody playing. It makes some people turn in their lineups every week so that they don't get humiliated. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thank you very much for texting in for Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Coming up, do you foresee a bountiful harvest for Matt Carpenter? We want your texts and your Rhino Shield next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. After starting off 0 for 12, Matt Carpenter two for his last six and also has a walk in his last seven plate appearances at three RBIs last night, was able to get his bat on the ball, is not striking out as much. As a matter of fact, uh, last night only struck out once, but he is coming along and this is on the heels of Mike Schilt saying a couple of days ago that things looked like they were going to get better for Matt Carpenter. You know, Carmen's going his way now. I feel like he's about to go get going. Um, it was it was smart play, even in a hitter's count. You know, he took what the game gave him, and, um, and so he's and saving up for a, a bountiful harvest. He's gonna um, he's gonna sow the the um, seeds that he's planting here at some point. I can promise you that the game's not that cruel. And it seems like it wasn't cruel to him for the past, yesterday, at least. And you know, he got on base the day before, but. It was a troubling trend because even though he was making hard contact, he was clearly hitting the ball hard, taking good at bats. It wasn't happening for him. And so sometimes it's just not there anymore. And I think that's what most Cardinals fans assumed with Matt Carpenter was that even though he's been a great Cardinal and he's doing everything right, as Mike Schilt mentioned, that maybe he had just lost it. And that happens to everybody at some point when they played this game. But he did have a a good night last night, even outside of the home run. He was hitting the ball hard. He had some other balls that that there were great plays made, but I hope that it continues. I hope that it continues for him because the Cardinals need it. They need him to be able to provide that pop for them when he gets in that position. Michelle, I thought thought it was interesting that the the floodgates kind of broke in terms of just being able to hit the ball hard because he wasn't getting any production, but his first hit comes from a bunt. So last night, He gets to the plate with a runner on base, and he's already hit the ball hard once since then. And here's what he had to say. That's got to feel better than a bunt, right? (laughs) A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, But at this point, anything 
that is positive. It feels good. So um, definitely, definitely a good feeling. So the question is, do you feel positive about it? 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Send us a text uh, to that, or you can Rhino Shield mic drop us with the 101 ESPN app. Are you feeling more positive about MARP and with Tommy Edmond in right field? And oh, by the way, Edmond last night, two for five with a couple of runs scored. If Carpenter gives you just a little bit of production, it's generally better than what you were getting out of your outfielders. Mm-hmm. So Carpenter and Edmund and Wright might be better than Edmund at second and what you were getting out of the outfield. That's a great point. Here's one from the 314, Randy. I love the guy as in Matt Carpenter, but no, he's hitting the ball hard and getting good swings in. But it's been a long time since he was himself, and I'm tired of the pumping up of his abilities by the Cardinals. I know that they don't have much of a choice, but he's not the Carpenter we remember or want in the lineup. And we will never see that Carpenter again. The Carpenter that we remember from 2013, 2014, the game doesn't exist anymore. He was a gap-to-gap hitter. He was able to go the other way. And I, I talked to him about it this spring. He could just wait for a sinker away, a cutter away, and serve the ball into left. Every single pitcher now, for the most part, I'm not going to say every single pitcher, but most of the pitches he sees, hard stuff up and in. Everybody's throwing 95 plus and everybody's throwing up in the zone. And just think about, hold your hands up like you're trying to hit and think about trying to hit the ball the other way. Uh, Think about playing softball. And and if you have a pitch that's up, trying to hit the other way, it's really hard if you have a fastball that's up and in to try to hit it the other way. It just doesn't work that way. Rather than having a pitch that's away that's 93 where you can get your bat on it and keep your wrist out and, and go the other way. So that mark that we remember, that's not coming back. That's not coming back into baseball anytime soon. So he has to do what he can to try to hit the ball hard, and he's going to have to try to pull it. And our question the other night, and hopefully it was answered affirmatively last night, but our question the other night and yesterday with Mike Schilt was, can he hit the ball hard enough in this game to hit the ball out of the ballpark? Well, he did once. He did. We saw it. From the 314, Marp's homer was so exciting. You want to know what he means to this team? Watch the dugout when he Mm -hmm. hits that home run. People recognize in that dugout and on that team how hard he works and how much he puts into it. Sometimes, as you've mentioned, Michelle, to his own detriment, right? He Sometimes he works so hard, and I'm, I'm guessing that it affects him mentally, too. But physically, this is a guy that they've had to sit down because of exhaustion before. Yes, he is in there working on his craft all of the time, which is part of the reason that I think so many people want him to succeed because they know that he is doing everything possible to turn it around. This is not someone that got the contract and then rested rested on their laurels or checked out. He wants to be great. He wants to go out there and be a good teammate and contribute to his team. And he's very close with so many guys on this team, and he's a, a great Cardinal. And the texter's absolutely right. Did you see the dugout yeah. go nuts when he got that home run? It really was an indicator to how badly they wanted it for him. Question. If you are somebody who's down on Jeff Albert and you're down on Matt Carpenter, whose fault is it? Ooh. Could it be C, both of the above? It could, because there's probably nobody who's bought in more to Albert's teachings than Carpenter has. And D, also the shift? 
Well, yeah, that's part of it, too. Um, but, no, you're right. I, when Jeff Albert first came to the Cardinals, wasn't Matt Carpenter part of a group that went to Jeff Albert's ranch? Uh, no, El, they all went out to Marp's ranch. Mar- Marp's ranch. But Jeff Albert was involved he was, there. Yeah, he, he, he oversaw everything. He was getting a group together to make sure that everybody was all bought in on right. Jeff Albert and his teachings. So you're right. He's been a, a disciple from the beginning. From the 636, that Carpenter curtain call was the worst thing I have seen all year. What a joke for a guy with a bunt single and an actual home run that barely made it fair. People are just trying to be nice. I, I have no problem with being nice. I, that, that's one of my life philosophies. I never have problems with being nice. About the curtain call? About anything. If, if you're nice to somebody, you should never get ripped for it. I agree. And also, <laughs> it, he hit a home run. Yeah. <laughs> so why is, that, why is it bad to celebrate that? He's obviously been struggling. Yeah. And, and Cardinals fans are, are a smart fan base. They understand the entire context of this, and they understand the spot that he was in. And so it's just acknowledging his efforts. Yeah, and here's what you have to hope is that the home run last night and the sack fly will generate a little bit of momentum. I talked earlier about the process versus the event. And as Carpenter talked to the media last night, he was asked about coming along and whether or not this could be a harbinger of better things to come. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, you know, baseball is a game of momentum. It always has been. And, um, you know, when you take a swing like that and um, you're able to continue to carry on those at-bats, I mean, I didn't really have any luck. You know, pretty par for the course for me so far this season. Um, But, I, you know, ultimately just hitting the ball hard is all you can do. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job of that to this point in the season. And um, hopefully I can keep that momentum going because, I mean, I just if you just keep hitting it hard, you know, they're eventually going to fall in for you. Um, and I'm confident that they will. And he is hitting the ball harder than he did last year. That's And this is 11 games now that the Cardinals have played. He hasn't played in all of them, but his metrics are better than they were last year during the 60-game season. Cottleville Chris checks in and says, I love him, but no way on Marp. He can't sustain when the enemy covers four positions with seven players. The shift has ended him. It absolutely has had more of an effect, I think, on Carpenter than any other hitter in baseball. But that being said, we have to decide, not we, we can just draw our opinions, but Mike Schilt and the Cardinals have to decide, ultimately, what's better. Is it better to have him in the lineup or Justin Williams or, when he comes back, Harrison Bader or Lane Thomas? Are you better off with Edmund in the outfield and Carpenter at second or one of those outfielders who haven't hasn't done much uh, with Carpenter on the bench. And if you're Mike Schilt and you've seen Matt Carpenter taking at bats that you feel good about and you've seen the hard contact he's making, you're right. And when you're looking at some of the other guys in the lineup that haven't been producing, you might feel better that he's going to turn the corner com- and, compared to some other guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you've seen it before. And it probably won't be 14 runs today. Maybe it will. Cardinals taking on Joe Ross, Adam Wainwright, who will join us coming up at 8.15, uh, will face Joe Ross. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks very much for your texts and your mic drops, and we'll hear a few more of those as we go along here. But next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little game of Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Your texts are welcome. 65780, Michelle, Randy, and Emily with you. Michelle, it was two years ago today that Tiger Woods won 
the Masters. He won his 15th major, his first in 11 years, and he beat quite a field that included Xander Shoffley, Dustin Johnson, and Brooks Kepka. Uh, they all were one stroke back. Take it or leave it. In your lifetime, which is going to be longer than my lifetime, you see another golfer win 15 majors. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. Certainly not my lifetime. It's, I, I think the field is so competitive, and Tiger was just a rare bird. It's so rare. He changed golf in so many ways, and so many things that made him great, a lot of other golfers have adopted. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we're ever going to see anyone that dominant again. And you see how these guys who get off to great starts like Rory or Justin Spieth or Kepka now, they flame out. Mm-hmm. They they do win majors. They win three or four. And you say, oh, maybe this is the next Tiger. And then they flame out very quickly. It's kind of a bummer to think about, though. Yeah, it that is. That we'll never see someone, potentially never see someone that dominant in golf again. And the reason for that is, is because of him. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many young people that are playing golf because of him that it's Im- almost impossible to be that dominant because so many talented athletes are playing the sport. I think the key word there is athlete, too, yep. because he changed, I th- I think in a lot of people's mind, the perception of what a golfer looks like and about the athletic abilities of a golfer. And so many young athletes, because of Tiger, could go play football or basketball, but they want to play golf. Right. So, Randy, we both watched the Cardinals game last night. It was a great game. Very fun. Very exciting. I do have one complaint, though. Okay. The people that are doing the woo in the stands, the Ric Flair woo, it is so obnoxious. It is so distracting. It frankly gave me a headache, and I'm all for people having a good time at the ballpark, but this has just gone too far. There's a line, and it has been crossed. So take it or leave it. The people consistently doing the Wua Bush Stadium, they must be identified, and they must be forced to do a post game and explain themselves for their actions. If we have players and other people who have to be held accountable for their actions inside Bush Stadium, the Wu people need to be held accountable too. Under most circumstances, Michelle, I would take this. But it's my understanding that the Cardinals are putting Ric Flair's image up on the board. And so the people that need to be held accountable are the Cardinals game day staff who are actually encouraging the woo by showing them Ric Flair. Can we give those people who are likely in the stadium, and maybe it doesn't sound as pronounced in the stadium, a copy of the telecast so they can hear what it sounds like? Yeah, force them to hear it. Yeah, because it is. I understand that they want to get the crowd engaged. They want people to be yelling and cheering. They probably think that this is something fun. Maybe they think it sounds like caca. How we mm-hmm. went to the Battlehawks games and caca. Everyone was yelling caca. It was a it was a blast. We had a great time. The woo is not caca. Stop trying to make the woo happen. It's distracting, and from the BFIB, it's distressing. It is. People are not happy with the woo. No, I'm with you. I'm with you there. All right, your text six five seven eight zero. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 314, take it or leave it. Max Scherzer takes a hometown discount and is a Cardinal next year. I was thinking about this, and I'm going to take that. I'm going to say that Max Scherzer overrides his agent, Scott Boris, and says, nope, I want to pitch my last year or two in St. Louis. I want to pitch at home. I'm going to take it. I'm going to leave it. I think he would have done that prior in his career, earlier in his career. But I remember when the Nationals were playing the Cardinals. It might have been last season, the season before. And they asked him about coming back to Bush Stadium. And, he, and he, his response was, I haven't lived there in a long time. Yeah, it's home. I have family there. But I haven't been there in a long time. So maybe he doesn't feel the same way 
about playing in St. Louis as he once does. I don't know. That's a personal thing, but I would imagine if he's getting a better offer elsewhere that he wouldn't want to take a hometown discount at this point in his career. I'm saying it because it's the team that he grew up with, which will likely be more competitive than the team that he's on at the moment. Now, Boris is the key here. And people say, oh, man, the Cardinals had a hometown discount. A hometown discount would have been $180 million. I wish I could get that hometown discount. Yeah. The Cardinals have not given out a contract beyond $130 million. So they, they did offer a year. Well, no, they, they actually that year, they, they did offer a price, uh, that sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. No, after the next season. I'm sorry. It was after the next season that they offered price $187 million. But Max Scherzer, it was, they were two ships passing in the night. The Cardinals had seven or eight starting pitchers that they liked, including Carlos Martinez and Shelby Miller and Lance Lynn, and Wayno was on that list, and he was coming up for free agency. And he had Boris, and that was going to be his big payday. He got $210 million from the Nationals, Scherzer did. So even though the Cardinals, to their credit, admit that it was a whiff, I totally get where they were coming from at that point. From the 618 take it or leave it wooers will be interviewed post game before umpires will yeah i'll take that <laughs> yeah i can imagine someone would hunt down the wooers and get them interviewed before the umpires ever have to explain themselves yeah but the I umpires think, aren't protected or the wooers aren't protected by major league baseball the umpires are that's right but i i do think both parties should have to explain themselves i'm with you 100 there from the 636 take it or leave it Jaden schwartz has a multi-point game tonight take it Schwartzy's back, baby. Schwartzy's cooking. Not only a multi-point game, but pretty soon a multi-year contract. Oh, I like where your head's at. I like that. They need to have left wings. It's When you're going to win hockey games, and especially when you're going to win championships, one of the things that it's really good to have is good players. And if you're going to go into next season with Sanford and Blay as your top two left wings, you're kind of scuffling. Also, you see the way that the team plays when he's out there. They're much better when he's out. Much better when he's on when he's out on the ice. From the 314, take it or leave it, Adam Wainwright leads pitchers in wins this year. Take it. I think when we did our uh, preseason picks, I picked Wainwright to have the most wins. And I think I picked Jack Flaherty. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a good call with Wainwright, but it's still early and KK's a coming. He is, and Jack's gotten more run support this year so far than in seasons past, but I still have my money on Wayno. Baseball has to enforce their strike zone. Jack Flaherty is so victimized. And by the way, both pitchers were victimized last night. Edmund took a pitch down the middle. I mean, right down the middle for a ball. It was unbelievable. So the umpires have to be better, but the strike zone has to be enhanced because every hitter goes up there trying to walk. And then you got this postage stamp strike zone, which is ridiculous. Strike zone is supposed to be from the, the hollow of your knee to your armpit, essentially. And right now it's basically from the top of your knee to your waist. It's ridiculous and it's almost impossible to throw strikes. So what they need to do, baseball needs to encourage more swinging of the bat, by having more strikes. That's my little rant for the day. That was good. From, from the 636, take it or leave it, DeYoung, Ponce, Yvonne Herrera, Andrew Miller, and Jake Woodford for Trevor Story. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will leave it. I'll leave it too, but I just liked your response better. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, it's humorous. Say those names again. Hold on one second. I already deleted it. Oh, sorry. DeYoung, Ponce, Yvonne Herrera, Andrew Miller, 
and Jake Woodford for Trevor Story. So a pitcher who's at the end of his career, essentially, and Andrew mm-hmm. Miller, mm-hmm. a pitcher who may not have a career in Daniel Ponce de Leon, uh, shortstop who is set to make okay money, not ba- bank-breaking money, but has been an abject disappointment for the last couple of years. Von Herrera, who is your guy to eventually replace uh, Gadi or Molina. And then uh, who was the first one? I don't even remember. But Woody. Yeah. Well, Woody, 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 yeah. Uh, and, and then the team that you're trying to make that deal with just got hammered, eviscerated for making a deal with you for trading their previous best player to the same team. Yeah, with that collection of players, I can't extract one that they would be so enamored with that they would want to make that deal. And that's exactly what I thought of. It's it's kind of like with Buffalo. If Doug Armstrong calls, they're not picking up the no. phone after Ryan O'Reilly. If I was Colorado, I would block any 314-636 yeah. or 618 phone number just in case it was the Cardinals. Even though Trevor Story is a free agent to be, Colorado can do better than that for Trevor Story. From the 618, take it or leave it, we score more than one run today after scoring 14 last night. Take it. Today, uh, by the way, you've got your 60-cent drinks at On The Run. Oh, great. And tomorrow, to guarantee, it's a character, well, I don't know if it's a character and small one guarantee, but I'll just make it a character guarantee. You've got 60-cent drinks tomorrow at Mobile On The Run, too. Wow, that is a big guarantee. Write like it down, that? Emily. Make sure that we remember this for tomorrow. I'm going to take that they're going to score more than one run. I don't know if I'm going with the mobile 60-cent guarantee. Oh, come on, Michelle. Okay, fine, Randy, fine. Because I, I want to be in it together. Yeah. We're we win. This is a character and Smallman guarantee. Yeah, yeah. We win as a team. We lose as a team. We're in this together, even though I don't feel great about it. But you, you know what? You rode on the Illinois bandwagon with me, and I'm sorry for that. So I will, I will ride on the mobile 60 cent drinks train with you. That just happened. All right, there we go. Uh, thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, a day off for the Blues on Monday. They play the Avalanche tonight. What do we expect? We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy with you. It's 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, if we go back to last month, the the end of March, the Blues had three days in a row off on March 29th, 30th, and as Boomer Esiason used to call it, 31th. And then uh, they were also off on April 1st. Since then, they have played uh, in April on the 2nd, 3rd, 5th, 7th, 9th, 10th, then they had three days off before playing Colorado tonight because of the postponement of the game the other night. So the Blues have played a lot of hockey of late, and getting these three days off, I think, is good for them as they play Colorado tonight. Yeah, there seems to be two trains of thought. One, 
from you that if they get a little bit of a break, a little bit of rest to recharge, maybe get their body right, so that 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 could be good moving forward. But I'm more on the camp or in the camp, Randy, of the fact that they were on a winning shrink and they had momentum. And I don't know what going to Minnesota and then having to not have the game, the travel afterwards, more of a little bit of a break in between games, how that's going to affect them from a momentum standpoint. And for as dramatically condensed as this schedule is, you've just had three days off. You play Colorado, you get two days off. You play at Arizona, you get two more days off before you get back to every other day. So you do have some rest, Craig Berube. What do you think? Well, I don't think it hurts. Um, you know, there's a lot of hockey, a lot of hockey coming up. Um, so um, it, it's not a bad thing. Um, guys were pretty keyed up to play many, though. I think, um, you know, playing them two, two times in a row and we got them three there. I mean, they're a team we're trying to catch. Uh, we played them pretty well here at home, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. So we got to practice in today and we get ready for tomorrow. Michelle, I really thought in the first game, the nine-goal game that the Blues had against Minnesota, Mm -hmm. they were flying around like they did last year. And they set the tone early, and obviously aren't going to score nine goals every game. But this Blues edition, when they set the tempo, they can beat anybody. That's the team they are. Do they have as many good players as Colorado? No. But... When they play their style, when they're coming at you in waves, that's how they can win games. That's always been the key with this collection of talent, regardless of the the pieces that have interchanged, is them setting the tone and them playing their game. When Tori Krug came to St. Louis and we interviewed him, we asked him what it was like to play the Blues in the Stanley Cup final, and he said part of the reason he wanted to come to St. Louis is because they were so difficult to play against, because they kept coming at you in waves, and you couldn't disrupt it if it was constantly coming at you just shift after shift and it seems like that game you mentioned they came out fast they set the tone early and it's just consistently maintaining that throughout the game and it's people like Schwartz and Tarasenko is getting back into the game but Schwartz and especially a guy like Barbashev and it hurts to lose a guy like Thomas hurts to lose Mm -hmm. a guy like Oscar Sundquist but the Blues still need to set that tone according to their goalie Jordan Bennington yeah, it's big. Um, like I said, it's got to be a full 60 minutes, full team effort. And, um, you know, at the same time, it's it's one game at a time and, and just prepare and focus for the moment at hand. And um, we should be all right. Can we hear that again? Uh, Emily, can you get that up? Let's count the cliches, okay? Okay, I'm ready. Ready. Okay, here we go. Yeah, it's big. Um, like I said, it's got to be a full 60 minutes, full team effort. And, um, you know, at the same time, it's... It's one game at a time and, and just prepare and focus for the moment at hand and um, we should be all right. Five. I, I had five. And that is in 13 seconds. That's awesome. Congratulations. Wow, Bennett. Jordan Bennington. Yeah. You know, for a guy who has some pretty um, fiery comments at times, they're short, but they're fiery. Yep. Do I look nervous? Yeah, we're coming. It seems like when he has to expand past four words sometimes, <laughs> maybe he throws in the yeah. cliches. But everything he said was correct. It was. He, they do have to take it one day at a time. They do have to set the tone and make sure they play consistently for the entire game. Everything he said was correct. I just like the way he phrased it. It was fantastic. It was really good. It. Now, the Blues are even using we're coming as part of their marketing campaign here. What does Binner think of that comment taken off? No, I, I wasn't sure. I didn't, there wasn't anything... Uh really behind it uh you know it's we got to stay composed and um it was just we're at a point in the season where 
um, you know, it's in our hands and it's time to take, take charge. And um, we've done a good job over the last handful plus of games. And, you know, it's about staying composed at this point and, and staying focused and playing one game at a time and just seeing what the outcome is at the end of the game. Yes, it is about all of that staying composed, but it's about the team having that fire yep. and having that swagger that comes behind the, yeah, we're coming. He said that with such conviction. Mm-hmm. When we talked to David Perron, he didn't say it as as uh, quickly as Jordan Bennington did, but he, prior to them going on this winning streak, was so confident in the team's abilities and the team's chances of turning things around and going on a run and the team has got to maintain that chip on their shoulder that confidence in themselves if they're going to go against teams like Colorado and Vegas they they have to maintain that sense of purpose and that intensity and that's why I think this might be the biggest game of the year you've got Colorado certainly at Arizona is going to be a big one on Saturday but then you have three more against Colorado next week next Tuesday Thursday Saturday you've got the avalanche and if you set the tone tonight against Colorado I really believe that the Blues can play with them and stay in the playoff hunt you aren't going to catch Colorado but stay in the playoff hunt I really look at this as the biggest game of the year for the Blues tonight Biggest game of the year. Yep. No no pressure, boys. No. There you go. That's today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. And coming up, Cardinals with Adam Wainwright on the mound play the Washington Nationals in the finale of a three-game series this afternoon at Bush. It's Wednesday, so Wednesdays with Waino coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Getting you inside the cards. Is Carriker and Smallman with Cards pitcher Adam Wainwright. Wainwright, 23rd complete game of his career. Absolutely remarkable. On 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN on the heels of a 14-3 route of the Nationals last night. The Cardinals will wrap up the three-game series this afternoon, 12-15. Adam Wainwright against Joe Ross. It is Wednesday, and it's time for Wednesdays with Wayno. Adam Wainwright joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And first of all, Adam, congratulations on the win last night. Good morning. And uh, I just want to know how you're feeling about the start to this season. Well, I think it's... uh we've done some good things and we've done some things that we could have done a lot better. I mean, we could, uh, could pitch a lot better. We could, we can hit a lot better. Frankly, we can, we can play better defense. We can, but we've had times where we did all those things, uh, well, um, but we, we got to do better at all of them. And it's just part of the process. You know, it's, uh, a season where we've, we've got a couple young players out there they're finding their way and they're making adjustments and they're going to but it's you know it's a a process it takes a little bit of time but uh i think last year's experience everybody getting lots of call-ups lots of time in important situations i think it's going to help them down the stretch we just got to find our way and and uh you know luckily we what are we five and five right now or something like that you know we it's just been a, a season of mediocrity so far, I would say. I don't think anybody would argue with that. I mean, am, am I on the right track there? I, I would say so. And I, I've always said, Adam, that it takes some time for teams to kick in. Uh, that team that won 105 games in 04 the year before you came up 
they were 20 and 20 and they wind up winning 105 games. I think for most really good teams, it takes some times to gel and to just get everything to kick in. It does. I mean, it just there's no better case of that than the Washington Nationals a few years back when they won the World Series. I think they were like 12 games under 500 at one point. Now, that's not obviously not where we want to be, where we expect to be, but it just shows you the, the beginning of the season is important. You want to get off to a great start, but it's also not the end-all, be-all. Adam, someone who's off to a great start is your longtime battery mate, Yadier Molina. He's becoming the first player to reach 2,000 games caught with one team. He's just ridiculous. And you've had a front row seat to Yadier's career. Can you explain to us just how dedicated Yadier is to the game of baseball? Uh, Not in one interview, I can't. I mean, (laughs) he is is unlike really anybody I've ever known in, in, in quite a few ways. But especially his love of baseball is just, I just don't know if you can compare it. You know, it's a guy who got done with the season last year of the playoffs and was going to be a free agent for the first time in his life. And what did he do? He went home and sat on his haunches, right? No, he went and played winter ball and he went and played in the Caribbean series and almost won a world uh, Caribbean series title and, and uh, played the whole off. Not because he had to, I mean, the guys, you know, clearly made, enough money in his career where he's he's financially set but it's because he loves the game of baseball and uh he wanted to stay sharp and you know i think he knows he's only got a year or two left maybe maybe more i don't who knows he might play till he's 70 but um i think he wanted to get off to a great start and i think he knew that he had to stay sharp to do that and and uh he's gonna make the he's gonna make the adjustments necessary to be great and i don't think we fully understand how great Yachty is. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to say that, but to know all the little things that he does to help win a game, it's really hard to comprehend um, unless you're there all the time, unless you're behind the, I mean, I don't, I don't see every decision he makes. I don't see all the little conversations he has with Schulte and Mad Dog and all that. I know it's going on though. And I know there's lots of it going on and he's always got his mind on 12 different things to help the team win a baseball game. He just is in, He's a remarkable person uh, in many different ways, but he's, he's on the field, a special talent and a guy who thinks above and beyond what most people are, are even like even capable of you know, coming close to. So just a special guy, special talent. St. City of St. Louis and our, our St. Louis Cardinals organization is so blessed to have been able to, to, to call him our catcher for as long as we have. Hopefully he stays in place for a few more years because he clearly has a lot left to give. He does. And you mentioned staying sharp. And I, I remember hearing during spring training, you talking about how you felt physically, how you felt better than you'd felt in many years. Was there any adjustments that you made to your training regimen to allow you to feel so good physically? Yeah, there's been quite a few adjustments, honestly. Uh, I've got a couple of guys who, in our training staff, who have really poured into me. One guy I want to mention, especially right now, is a guy named Jason Shutt, who's our head of like player performance or something like that. I don't know what title he has, but he's, he's like specifically spent a lot of time with me and this off season when I was a free agent, didn't have a team, you know, I, I still called him almost every day to figure out what my regimen was. And, and he did that just for me on the side, you know, just didn't, didn't matter to him whether I was going to be a Cardinal or not. Hopefully I was going to be, but he did it for me because he wanted to see me, succeed and that that goes into our diet plan with our we got we got great 
dietitians on staff that, that give us the best plan to put our body in the, the best position to succeed. We have, you know, strength trainers that, that are putting out great design programs for each and every guy, but they, they all poured into me. The training staff all poured into me and my specific needs. Just, I, I can't even describe it. I mean, my, my career would have been over three or four years ago without question, without each and every single one of these people on staff. I, I just can't, I just can't thank them enough. They've just done so much for me. They're, 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 they're selfless people that spend hours and hours and hours just trying to make us perform better. And I just, you know, just every now and then you got to give them a little love, man. And that's what those guys did for me. That's amazing. Uh, Randy and I were talking about this today, how we don't understand how you and Yachty, who have gone through this for so long, can physically look so great and feel so great. You know, Tom Brady's come out with a TB12. We need an AW50 program or something. We need something where we can follow along and try to stay as fit as you guys. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I honestly, I wish that I was doing half of the stuff that I do now when I was, 30 years old, I, there's no telling how much better I would have played or how much better I would have felt, which would have allowed me to play better. I, I seriously, honestly, I feel better now than I did when I was 30. I feel better now. I have less aches and pains now than when I was 25 years old. And I, I, owe, I owe all of that to our training staff and to the people who poured into me and just by the grace of God, because I, I really can't explain it. Otherwise I felt, you know, how I felt a couple of years ago. You saw me, I was out there throwing pus, throwing 83 miles an hour, just, praying for somebody to line out somewhere, you know, and now, now I feel like <laughs> I might be pretty good at this game again. I know, <laughs> I know my first couple of starts may not have showed exactly how it's going, but in spring training, I'll tell you, I have not felt as, as dominant as I did in spring training. I've not felt like that since 2014 and there's no, just, there's no denying it. So I have, I have a hundred percent confidence that my game is going to be really good this year. And I would all of the people who got helped me get me there. Adam Wainwright with us on 101 ESPN. We spoke last Wednesday, and then last Thursday was the home opener, so we haven't had a chance to talk to you. Uh, with the fans coming back at this stage of your life and your career, what did you think of opening day at Bush Stadium last week? I thought it was awesome. And you know what? The uh, the, the fans, even though we were, what, one-third capacity, we had like fourteen or 15,000 people there, even though they were at one-third capacity, they were cheering at at absolute max capacity. It seemed like there was, it seemed like there was at least 30, 40,000 people there, just the way that they were getting into it, the way they were supporting us. I'll tell you what, man, that was, and, and maybe it's just because what we're used to, but just, just having people back and, and, and it's not just, it's not just the roar of the crowd, which is so special to us. It's all the little things that comes with, with having our great fans in the stands. It's the smell of the hot dogs. It's the popcorn. It's the, it's the onions that they get going on the, on the grill to help, you know, fire up your nose so that you're going to go out there and buy some food. We, I know what they're doing. It works, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, it, and it works, and it, it just all of it is what helps make baseball special, and it's just great to have them back. You know, it really is in, in, in more ways than you can describe. But, you know, when, when, uh, when I walk across the field right after the anthem and I start hearing those, those fans kind of light up, go, start going crazy – that is one of the most special things that you could ever imagine as a performer who's been waiting to play this game my whole life, waiting to play in front of people, waiting to play on, on fields like Bush Stadium. To have the crowd just support you like that, pour their love out for you, their heart out for you. There was one point early in the game when you know the first innings when when uh, things could have gone 
who knows how many different ways. And Dylan made that great catch at center. There was one lady I could hear above the first base dugout, and uh, she goes, "Wayno, please get it done. We believe in you." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, come on! I believe in me too. Let's go. We can do it." But you know, there was and the other the other moment I'll say, and then I'll stop talking. Was there was a moment I had bases loaded. I had a two zero count. Lorenzo Kane up to bat, and. I stepped off the mound, and the crowd could feel that I, I needed a little something, like a little bump, you know, a little adrenaline, a little, just a little, like, pat on the back or something, and they gave it to me. They, they you could tell. I don't know if they felt it or they just, it just because they're so baseball savvy, they knew what was going on, but they go, they, they started going crazy. They stood up. They got on their feet. He started cheering like crazy and getting loud for the first time in 500 days that I've heard that, and it really helped me. I'll tell you, it was they, I, I, the next pitch I executed, I was like, all right, fans are in this. Let's go. Come on. We can do this. And it just just gives you a little extra adrenaline that you can't get anywhere else. It was really neat. I love that. That's such a great story because we feel that. If you're from St. Louis or if you're a part of the Cardinals organization, you know how special that environment is. And one of my favorite things, Adam, is when I have friends come in from out of town and I get to take them to Bush Stadium for the first time <laughs> because I know what they're going to experience. And it's fun for me to watch them experience that so when I hear after the game you say that Nolan Arenado had been sending videos to you of him hitting to show Mo and just really illustrating how badly he wanted to be here how cool was it for you to see him get that first Cardinal moment yeah and I gotta I gotta make sure how I I phrase that properly too because I'll get I'll get Mo in trouble for tampering if I don't watch out but (laughs) you know Nolan sends me videos all the time the offseason hey get me over there man get me over there and uh, it, it, it's just really neat how players of his caliber, they want to come here. Because, you know, when they make diving plays and our fans get up on the stand, on their feet in the stands and cheer for them when they're on the opposing team, you don't think the other teams notice that? Oh, heck yeah, they do. And he wanted to come here, and I just appreciate that so much. But, um, yeah, I, I just got to be careful because that, that, that's something that, you know, no one sends me the videos. I send Mo a text say, hey, your boy's sending me sending these videos. So it's, it's pretty neat, man. It's, uh, it's pretty cool that, that players want to come here. It's, 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 it's no secret that we have the best fans in all of sports. Um, it's no secret that, that we have uh, a fan base that travels. You know, when, when we go to Colorado, no one saw that. Shoot, we had – thousands of people there cheering us on he wants to be a part of that he wanted to be a part of that so many people want to be a part of that and that's just excited to see and and i'm glad to hear that too because that's what i tell people i'm like dude you've got to come here man we would love to have you you know and, and then uh, when they get here and they see how cool it is that i think they agree too Adam Wainwright and Big League Impact always doing great work and i, I got the email from you and the foundation uh, right on opening day and what Big League Impact does is amazing, and especially, Adam, on the heels of the pandemic as we come out of this, the need is greater now than it ever really has been for people around the world for what Big League Impact can do, isn't it? The need is, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's not just our country. I mean, this, this pandemic has been horrible for, for our country, obviously. There's so many people who are out of jobs, so many people who aren't going to school, and so many small businesses shut down. There's so many people that, that are in need. But, you know, around the globe, it's no different. And for places that already were faced with situations of poverty, to have what little they had taken away 
it just is a it's it's back it's backbreaking. And so anything that we can do at Big League Impact to to go out into the world and make a difference to people that we love them, that we care for them, that we're here for them, that we're going to try to help. We're going to try. Hey, what is it that you need? Okay, we'd love to try to fit that need. You know, if it fits into our if it fits into our uh, into our model. So uh, there's lots of people, lots of players are jumping on board. They're seeing the impact we're having. There's lots of players. Uh, there's lots of people in the St. Louis community that are jumping on board. They're seeing the impact we're having. We're working with great St. Louis-based organizations, Crisis Aid and and Operation Food Search and all kinds of wonderful organizations. So it's a cool thing, man. I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm, I'm glad that what we started several years ago has really caught fire. Our, our staff at Big League Impact is a real difference maker. There are people who are put on this earth to help people in, in, in nonprofit situations like we have right now. It's a staff that is growing um, internally as we need to because we have to because we're, we're trying to fill so many needs. It's just a great process to be a part of, and I feel blessed to do that. And Carriker and Smallman making a $200 donation to Big League Impact to help out what Adam is doing here and around the world. Uh, We're thankful to have you as part of the community, thankful to have you as part of the show, Adam. Go get them today against the Nationals. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, and if uh, just one one quick thing, we're we're launching our all-win campaign on our website. So you can go to bigleagueimpact.org. Check out our all-win campaign. Every time the Cardinals win a baseball game, we're going to have several players playing for different initiatives. Um, Tommy Edmonds going to be playing for public schooling here in, in St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt's playing for uh, uh, Food for the Hungry. And then I'll be playing for Crisis Aid and Operation Food Search here in St. Louis. So we're going to be doing some cool things. Check it out on BigLeagueImpact.org. BigLeagueImpact.org, and uh, I will check that out right now and uh, start my donations. Adam, thank you very much. Take care. All right, thanks, guys. Adam Wainwright, he's going today against the Nationals at the ballpark at 12:15, and that's Wednesdays with Wayno. The fight coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman in the red corner, average Joe listener, and in the blue corner, the undisputed king. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on this Wednesday, on this hump day. It is 8.38, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. A little late getting to the fight, but it's because we were chatting with Adam Wainwright. We could have kept him for an hour. It's always a great conversation with Wayno. But it is time for the fight, so let's welcome in Randy's competition today. Patrick is with us. What's up, Patrick? How's your day going? What's up, Good. How are you, Michelle? Patrick, I'm doing great. We just had a chat with Adam Wainwright. The Cardinals won the game last night. We have Blues hockey tonight. Things are going good over here. Yes, very much so. Patrick, are you nervous Um, to take on Randy? No, I'm not nervous. I'm ready to take down Randy today. Love that confidence. Well, we're cheering for you. Good luck, all right? All right, thank you. All right, question number one, Patrick. Braden Shen will play his 700th career game tonight. Who is the Blues' all-time leader in games played with St. Louis? Is it Brian Sutter, Barrett Jackman, or Bernie Federko? I want to say it's Bernie Federko. Which 2002 Cardinal hit 34 home runs and knocked in 127 RBI? Was it Sean Casey, Albert Pujols, or Jim Edmonds? 
2002. Uh, let's say Albert. Patrick, the Blues play the Avalanche tonight. You already know this, but the pregame show is at 5.30 with Alex Ferrario. Puck drops 6.30 with Curbs and Joey right here on 101 ESPN. Be sure to tune in. Who were the Colorado Avalanche before they were the Avalanche? Was it the Hartford Whalers, the Quebec Nordiques, or the Atlanta Thrashers? The Quebec Nordiques. And which Cardinal led the team in doubles last season? Was it Brad Miller, Paul Goldschmidt, or Tommy Edmond? Let's say Goldie. Woo-hoo, Patrick, you were confident for a reason. Can't tell you how you did, but let's just say you did great. You did great. Randy's right. trotting in, and he has no idea what he's up against. As you get your headphones on, Randy, say what's up to Patrick. Who is Patrick, good morning. Good competition. Good morning, Randy. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Good. Good to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right, Randy. Love your show. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. That's nice. Question number one. And sorry, Randy, I'm cheering for Patrick. Okay. Just so you're aware. Braden Shen will play his 700th career game tonight. Who is the Blues' all-time leader in games played with St. Louis? All-time leader in games played with St. Louis. So he had 13 years for Bernie Federico, who's over 1,000 in his career. And I believe he's ahead of Barrett Jackman still. So I will go with one Bernard Federico. Which 2002 Cardinal hit 34 home runs and knocked in 127 RBI? 2002 Cardinal? Yes. 34 and 127? Yes. It sure sounds like Albert Pujols. Uh, He had 37 in his rookie year. So you had um, Roland came in the middle of 02. And I don't think he got to 34. So the Jimmy baseball would have been your other one. I'm going to go with Albert. Randy, the Blues play the Avalanche tonight. Pre-game is at 5.30 with Alex Ferrario. Puck drops 6.30 with Curbs and Joey right here on 101 ESPN. Mm-hmm. Who were the Colorado Avalanche before they were the Avalanche? From a team perspective? Correct. What was their name? They were the uh, Quebec Nordiques. And which Cardinal led the team in doubles last season? Last season's Cardinals doubles leader. Um, Tommy Edmond hit a bunch of doubles last year. But Goldie only hit six home runs, and I think he might have been the doubles guy. So I'm going to go with Paul Goldschmidt. Wow, best fight we've had in a long time. We're going to a tiebreaker, people. Patrick and Randy both got all four correct. All four correct. So we're heading to the tiebreaker. Patrick, here is how the tiebreaker works. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write his answer down as I'm reading it on his Edward Jones Dome Rams notepad he's got going on here. You are going to get first crack at this. We're going to let you answer first. You're going to have about 10 seconds to reveal your answer. Then Randy will let us know what he wrote down on the piece of paper. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins, all right? All right. All right, Patrick. Here is your tiebreaker question. How many of their 154 games did the St. Louis Browns win in the 1953 season, which was their final season in St. Louis before relocating to Baltimore? 
How many of their 154 games did the St. Louis Browns win in the 1953 season, which was their final season in St. Louis before relocating to Baltimore? Let's just say uh, I have no idea, but like 56. And, and Randy, I'm your answer with, is? I'm going with 41. Okay, Patrick said 56. Randy, 41. Emily, ring it. The winner and new champion of the fight. Average Joe Listener. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Congratulations, Patrick. You are closest to the pin on the tiebreaker, which means you defeat Randy. You win the fight. You're coming back tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. What a nail-biter, Randy. (laughs) It was good. Let's reveal the answers here. So the Blues all-time leader in games played with St. Louis is Bernie Federico, 927 games play. The 2002 Cardinal that hit 34 home runs and knocked in 127 RBI is Albert Pujols. Before the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche were the Avs. They were the Quebec Nordiques. And the Cardinal that led the team in doubles last season was Goldie, Paul Goldschmidt, with 13. The tiebreaker question, how many of their 154 games did the St. Louis Browns win in the 1953 season, which was their final season in St. Louis before relocating to Baltimore? Patrick said 56. Randy said, I'm sorry, Randy. 41. 41. I just wrote down the difference here. Randy said 41. The correct answer is 54. Mm. 54. So Patrick was very close. Well, Patrick, like I said, congratulations. We're excited to talk to you tomorrow, but have a great rest of your day. You too, guys. Have a uh, great night, and let's go Blues, baby. <laughs> let's go Blues. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Patrick with us on 101 ESPN. Love a little LGB out of Patrick to close it out. That's fantastic. Coming up, we've got your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy, and it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we talked about the fact that Alex Rodriguez and billionaire Mark Lore have signed a letter of intent to purchase the Minnesota Timberwolves. A-Rod, one of the most famous people in the country? Yes, definitely. Not just baseball, but he's crossed over to all sorts of different realms. Of course, pop culture with dating J-Lo. He's been on Shark Tank. Seems like A-Rod is everywhere, right? Dated Cameron Diaz when she was at the top of her game. That's right. He dated Kate Hudson, too. He's dated a lot of famous women in his day. But he's just... He's a celebrity. He's a big-time celebrity. He's more than just a former baseball player. Well, the number one pick from the 2020 NBA draft, Anthony Edwards, was asked about how he felt about A-Rod becoming an owner of the Timberwolves. And he said, I don't know who that is. I know he's going to be the owner, but I don't know anything about baseball. You better learn, (laughs) buddy. Come on now. You're 20 years old. You've got to know who Alex Rodriguez is. You never watched... Any Sunday night baseball? You, you, you never paid attention to J-Lo? Ever. I would think it, w- it would be harder to not know who A-Rod is. Absolutely. This guy, you better do some... And maybe he knows who Mark Lore is. Maybe he's a financial wizard or something like that. <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Maybe Anthony Edwards is so dedicated to his craft and dedicated to basketball that he doesn't watch the news or read the blogs or the gossip columns or pay attention to any other sport because ball is life. Does anybody... In the world, not just here in America, does anybody not in the world not know who Jennifer Lopez is? I'm sure there are people in the world. Then those people need to get a life. (laughs) 
What if they don't have access to internet? TV, magazines. There's lots of places in the world without access to media. Yeah, but they, they still know who J-Lo is. By word of mouth, it's reached them. Yeah. Have you heard about this woman? She does not age. Right. Have you heard about her Super yeah. Bowl performance? Yeah. McGuire went to Africa after the, that 1998 season and got recognized everywhere. Really? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So it is. And that's, that's what J-Lo is. J-Lo's not going anywhere and not getting recognized. She's a global superstar. Yeah. But so, you know. So he should know who Alex Rodriguez is. I was just going to say, as a product of that, you should know who A-Rod is. Especially because she was photographed with him everywhere. She was constantly talking about him. Any performance she did, whether it was at the White House or the Super Bowl, they panned to A-Rod being an Instagram boyfriend recording it on his phone. Now, the great story here would have been if they would have asked the guy, so what do you think of A-Rod buying the team? If he would have said, I'm not a Packers fan. <laughs> Good transition, Randy. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, the other A Rod, A A Ron, Aaron Rodgers, as we know, is guest hosting Jeopardy, and he's doing a fantastic job. He really, you could tell he's done his homework. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's great. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another run at it. Anyway, he asked a question during Jeopardy that he thought would be a layup, but it wasn't, Randy. In the 1960s, these Midwesterners earned five NFL championship trophies. Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Dennis, go Try again, title I guess. for 600. They swept over the NBA, winning the title every year from 1959 to 1966. Eric? Who are the Boston Celtics? Oh, you know that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think you would just guess Green Bay? Yeah, Even if you didn't know. These Midwesterners, These yeah. Midwesterners, you would think there would be a question planted about the Packers because Aaron Rodgers is guest hosting. Yeah. But he's really sharp. Oh, uh, now you know that one. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Good. And I, I really wonder, because he's intimated that if he was offered the full-time job that he might leave football, do you think he's real there? I think so. He seems to really be enjoying himself, and mm-hmm. it's a completely different side of him, and he's really good at it. Yeah, but I wonder if he sees himself doing it for 30 years and getting out of football when he's still got this is a defending MVP, when he's still got football left. I don't think he would do it now, and that seat might be filled. Yeah. I don't think it's enough to lure him away from football when you're right. He is playing at an extremely high level, at an elite level, and I think he still wants to get another Super Bowl. And is going to do everything he can to do that. But I do wonder if he's considering his life beyond football now that he's engaged and now that he realizes he has another avenue to do something that he really likes and that he can also be good at. I wonder if that's weighing on him at all. And he's got a Hollywood fiance mm-hmm. and they've mm-hmm. got a place in Hollywood. Shailene Woodley. Yeah, so it'd, it'd be a really if he's that good at it and they would want him to do it. It'd be a great transition. Do you think Anthony Edwards knows who Aaron Rodgers is? Yes, because if you're in Minnesota, you have to know who the quarterback of the Packers is. You would think so, but he didn't know who A-Rod was. And I would argue that Alex Rodriguez is more famous than Aaron Rodgers. I don't know, they're both pretty famous, but... But at least Aaron Rodgers is more recent. True. And... Fantasy football. And and they hate him in Minnesota, right where the guy is playing. Yeah, they definitely hate him there. Good point. You're killing me, Smalls. So after the Cardinals' big win last night, Randy, Nolan Arenado went on MLB Network and talked to our favorite Greg Amzinger. And I don't even need to set this up any other way other than Amzinger-Arenado conversation. 
Finally, uh, we have a theme tonight, um, spirit animals. We're trying to guess what Pedro Martinez's spirit animal uh, would be. He's going to reveal it later in the show. Uh, is there an animal that you would say, Nolan Arenado has a spirit animal? What would your spirit animal be? Man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's a good question, man. Yesterday, I struck out three times on heaters down the middle. So I was probably a wiener dog yesterday. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> That's, that was me yesterday, but today I was a little bit different. Thank God. That's You're all like I, a know. Pit I don't bull. know. You guys can pick it. You can pick it. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah, a pit bull. I like that. No, no, no. Thanks for playing along. And you're off to a no great problem, start boys. in St. Louis. Thanks for your time tonight. Go get your MVP, Thanks, guys. boy. I appreciate Go you. get your MVP. Nah, thank you, brother. <laughs> How great is that? Great. I love the self deprecation there. But what would Nolan Arenado's spirit animal be? I think he's. They, they said Pitbull. I, but Yachty seems like more of that to me. Yeah. Where he's constantly intimidating. You don't want you don't want to anger him. Right. But Nolan Arnado, he was right in there in the Castellanos mix in the incident. Right. He was right and there. So he's he's the animal that is calm and gentle until somebody gets him ticked off. Like when they say don't enter the, the tiger cage at the zoo. And if you go in, then the tiger's going to attack you and eat you. But, other, but otherwise, it's just laying around and wait. 65780, what is Nolan Arnado's spirit animal? I, it's funny you said tiger because I was thinking jungle cat as well. I was thinking maybe a black panther where he looks very majestic and regal and elegant and smooth because he mm -hmm. is such a smooth player. When a big cat walks, they walk in such yeah. a smooth way. That's kind of him on the hot corner, but also he will pounce well. if needed. And as he walks in, is he kind of the king of the jungle? He definitely is the king of the jungle. He's the king of this. Well, I would say Yachty's still the king. Yeah, Yachty's probably the king. So, yeah, I, I would go. I, I think a, a panther or a tiger is a good call. Okay, really quickly. We're getting a few. A lot of people saying he's a cardinal. Duh. But outside of that, Arnado is a wolf. He's he's a brown bear. He's a hawk searching for his prey. I think um, a wolf is really good. Honey badger. I like this one. Nolan Arnado, you mentioned wolf, equals gray wolf. He will slowly stalk, but he also lives in a pack. He loves being yeah. a part of a team. This is good. Yeah, wolf is a, a nice call. Well done. German shepherd. He's well-trained, but will attack when needed. Yeah. Another good one. Keep them coming. We're getting a ton of answers. We'll, we we'll gather some of these and revisit it. Nolan Arenado is one of the biggest and the best superstars in all of baseball. We're going to find out where he ranks right now from David Schoenfield of ESPN.com. Next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you. And friend of the station, David Schoenfield of ESPN.com, has a, a great piece up about cracking the MLB superstar code. And much like, David, I, I did when I was a kid. I read a lot of baseball books. And you based your thought process with the article, Your the genesis of the article. I love this. was a book that you had as a kid called All Pro Baseball Stars. You wanted to figure out who are the superstars of 2021. But I remember books like that when I was a kid, too. It's always fun to, to look back and see how things like that were done and how different things are today. 
Yeah, we need to bring those uh, those books back, right? We're told kids aren't as interested in baseball. Maybe we need all pro baseball stars 2021 to uh, spur their interest. Maybe, David. Well, can you break this down for us? Describe the formula that you concocted to rank the players. Well, look, this is just kind of a fun thing. You know, I don't think it's meant to be taken too seriously. But, uh, yeah, I'll try to describe this as easily as possible. So I looked at... For every player, their three-year cumulative war wins above replacement, but then they get bonus points for how they fared in MVP balloting if their team won a World Series. You get some bonus points if you were the World Series MVP because clutch performance matters. And then for a few players, you get a bonus point if you have one of the top-selling jersey in baseball, which kind of has nothing to do with your on-field performance, but it's kind of a reflection of, are you a superstar? You know, how popular are you? So it's mostly how good you are, but with a few other factors uh, tossed in. And those couple of World Series championships put Mookie Betts over Mike Trout as number one. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel. We all kind of generally agree that Mike Trout is still the best player in baseball, but... I think there's no doubt if you say who's the number one superstar, it's Mookie, right? You know, he's a great player. He's won an MVP. Plus, he won the World Series in 2018 and 2020. And he's a fun, exciting, popular player. So I'm pretty comfortable saying Mookie Betts is the man right now. No disrespect to Mike Trout. I'm with you, David. I think Mookie Betts is the biggest superstar in the game right now. But I would say Fernando Tatis Jr. might be the most popular player in the game right now. You have him on the cover of video games. He's on TV all the time. He's doing a lot of endorsements. It feels like from a popularity standpoint that he's rising to the top. Yeah, he is. And I heard, you know, I didn't, my formula is not perfect because it's looking back more than than projecting forward. So Tatis and Ronald Acuna Jr. didn't make my list of 24, which is probably a little bit of a flaw in the formula. Maybe I can tweak it, but I'm with you. You know, obviously he's got to stay healthy and get back on the field, but he's absolutely dynamic. We all know that. Probably the most exciting player, uh, you know, and then Acuna is right behind him and off to a great start. You know, no doubt Acuna is going to be very high on this list next year. If Tatis is healthy, he'll be on there, you know, clearly both players who can win an MVP award at some point. So, David, we're in St. Louis. We're in a market that is absolutely (laughs) obsessed with baseball. So I don't know if St. Louis applies to this. And we talk about this all the time, about baseball as a national sport. It's certainly a regional sport. You follow your team. You follow your division. But you you don't necessarily get a lot of exposure to other players. So I'm looking at this list that you compiled, and I'm looking at all these players saying, absolutely, they have a superstar factor. But I wonder if you walked into any grocery store throughout America and showed a picture of Matt Chapman and ask someone who he was if they would know. And I think baseball has a real issue when it comes to marketing their superstars. And I, I was just curious what you thought about that. Yeah, look, this, you know, we've been discussing this as, as long as I've been in baseball. Why can't baseball do a better job of marketing its superstars? And, you know, I would argue that last guy that had that broad national appeal was probably Ken Griffey Jr., right? And that was way back in the 90s. You know, I think sometimes we focus too much that this is a negative, and I get it. You know, the top 10 players in the NBA are more famous, more popular nationwide than the top 10 players in baseball. But we also need to look at the fact that 
the popularity locally is very strong. You know, local TV ratings for MLB teams trump NBA teams in almost every city. You know, so it is popular locally. Yeah, baseball, could they do a better job? And I think some of that has to come from the players, you know, and we're seeing that with guys like Tatis and Mookie who are a little more out there on Instagram or social media. So some of that has to come from the players and not the league where the NBA players are, you know, they're very good at putting themselves out there. David Jumfield of ESPN.com with us on 101 ESPN. Okay. If you would have blindly just done the math here and then unveiled the names, David, there's only one name of the top 24 that surprised me. And okay. I bet you know who it is. Who is your surprise if if you had a number one out of the top twenty four? Well, I, I there's probably two that jumped out at me. Justin Verlander, just because he's injured. Mm-hmm. But you know, my argument was you got to sort of earn your way off. And last year was a short season. He was hurt. He's going to miss this year, so he'll be off after next year. Like maybe Marcus Semyon is Bingo. the <laughs> surprise. Yeah, and I get that. You know. Um, He's had one great year, but it was a monster year. 2019, finished third in the MVP voting. But I'm with you. That was an outlier. You know, he has no other season close to that level. And I think if 2020 had played out over a full season, he's probably not on the list. But since 2020, you know, it was only 60 games. It's not valued as highly as a normal year. So he's on the list. But, uh, yeah, he probably, no doubt, falls off after this year. And you have logical guys joining the list. You mentioned Acuna Jr., Trey Turner, Giolito, and Corey Seager. I'll bet if you do the exact same thing next year with all of these different uh, attributes that you have, I'll bet Nolan Arredato moves up from 22. Yeah, I had him as a potential guy who's falling off, in part because you know his, he was hurt last year and didn't have a great season. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't comfortable about suggesting he might fall off because I think he's going to have a big year. I'm not worried at all about the Coors Field thing. I think actually that's going to help him. You know, sort of normalize the way he sees pitches um, defensively. I don't think he's lost a step yet. Uh, actually, I think it's a good point. I think people are going to actually maybe potentially appreciate him more after this season when he puts up the exact same numbers as he did with the Rockies, only it's at sea level, whatever the altitude there is in St. Louis, and he hits 38 home runs and wins a gold glove, and we're like, oh, yeah. It's not just a Coors Field thing with his numbers. And you could not have walked around last Thursday downtown St. Louis without seeing a Nolan Arenado jersey somewhere. His jersey sales are going to rise. He'll probably be on a playoff team. So all those other little, not little, but all, all those points that you get for those sorts of things are going to rise too. Yeah, you know, like Yadier Molina is usually right around the top 10 in jersey sales. I know I only gave bonus points for the top five. Um, going back historically, Yachty's been in the top 10 a couple times. So, yeah, when the Cardinals have a star, their fans buy their jersey, no doubt. And, David, before we let you go, we wanted to get your take on the Cardinals. What are your early observation observations of this team? Yeah, I was watching, you know, last night's game. Uh, there was all these great pitching matchups. So one of the games I had on was the Strasburg-Flaherty matchup. You know, too early to make any judgments. I don't know how the feeling there is in St. Louis, Flaherty. I thought he kind of scuffled through an okay outing, you know, wasn't throwing a lot of first pitch strikes. So 
I don't think he's at that level we saw in the second half of 2019. And given sort of some of the other question marks in the rotation, I think they really need him to to get close to that level. Look, you can't expect a 0.90 ERA or whatever he had the second half that year. But, you know, you want him to be a true number one ace. Um, but, look, the lineup with Arenado is going to be much better, you know, than it was last year. And, that look, that division, we know it's wide open. So they're going to be right there, no doubt. And, David, I'm telling you, I see way too many pitchers that are throwing 100 pitches in five innings. They need to yeah. expand the strike zone and get it back to what the rule is. Well, you know, it, it's the game we play now. The pitchers are trying to throw a perfect pitch every pitch, and then the batters are waiting for that one mistake. So it's, you know, I used to not like college baseball because you could almost start every batter with a 3-2 count. We're kind of getting that a little bit to the major leagues. Like every batter's running up the count. These pitchers run up their pitch counts. I was watching Shane Bieber last night, and it was so such a joy to watch. He had 86 pitches through eight innings. <laughs> you know, he threw a lot in the ninth. But you know, strike one, strike two, strike three. You know, you don't have to strike every bat every batter out. Get some ground balls. Get a few fly balls. Pitching to contact. I know. We all want to strike out every batter, but pitching to contact can work, so we don't need to strike out 14 guys a game. David Schoenfield, we always <laughs> enjoy and appreciate your work at ESPN.com. Thanks so much for the time this morning, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks again. Take care. David Schoenfield, read the piece at ESPN.com, cracking the MLB superstar code and the top 24 superstars in baseball, and the only Cardinal among the top 24 right now is Arenado at number 24. And or 22, I, 22 yeah, and I'm with you. I think that he'll rise up and not fall off this list. I think that he's going to have increased jersey sales, as you mentioned, and be a play, uh, on a playoff team. So hopefully he rises up. And Max Scherzer is still there at number eight, and we always talk about the Dodgers and the number of great players that they have. Betts, number one. They've got Bellinger at number two. They've got Trevor Bauer at number 13. And that's just who the Dodgers are. They're collecting superstars right now. And no Judge or Stanton on this list. No. It hurt too much. Mm-hmm. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, when the Cardinals pitchers and hitters show up at the same time, it really has an effect on them. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, we look at the top of the Cardinal lineup and we look at their starting rotation and the ability they have and we look at the bullpen and the ability they have and you say, man, if they can just put everything together and it's really interesting to look and last night, obviously, they did put everything together, winning 14-3, to but Emily has put together these numbers for us. Uh, so... Overall, Cardinal team ERA is 25th in Major League Baseball, 5.1. Their starters ERA, 5.96. That's 29th. And their bullpen ERA is 4.25. In Cardinal losses, though, they've been outscored nine runs to six. They're four four to three to Cincinnati. They've been outscored 12 to one. They've been outscored nine to five. They've been outscored nine to three. And they've been outscored... Five to two. So they have been routed. They've lost big Mm -hmm. when they've lost games. That's a a run differential of minus 27. In Cardinal wins, their run differential is plus 29. That run differential and losses, minus 27, not great. Not great, as Emily notes on the sheet. But it's interesting, obviously, about the disparity here, about the being outscored and the losses. But at least they're putting up runs. Not that we're trying to find anything positive here, but... 
in Cardinal offenses previously, it felt like feast or famine, where it would either be 14 runs like last night or nothing at all. So at least I'm seeing them put up five runs, three runs, two runs. But it would be nice to see everything click at once with the starting pitching and the offense, of course. And it might take some time. But I do think that this team has the ability to be average offensively and above average in terms of run suppression. And part of being average is going to be having more than just four hitters. If you can get to a situation where somebody else can step up, and by the way, let's let's include Carlson. So if you could have Edmund, Carlson, Goldenado, which is two players, yes, uh, Yachty, and then an outfielder or carpenter step up, then all of a sudden your lineup is significantly longer. Absolutely. And we talked a lot about Matt Carpenter today getting a home run last night. We talked about the curtain call. And so many of us want Matt Carpenter to succeed because we like him as a person and we like him as a Cardinal. But we also want him to succeed because of what that does for the team to be able to have someone like him that you can lean on for some offensive production, especially, as you mentioned, when the outfield isn't producing. And it's still very early, but... I'm starting to get concerned that we're not going to see one of these outfielders really distinguish themselves. So far, Dylan Carlson has shown moments, and he's going to find his way. I'm not very concerned about him, but you're going to need one of these other guys to to really show you something. And so far, I don't really have confidence that I can say that about any of them. I don't either. I'm with you. I, I liked what I saw from Justin Williams last night, but that was not vintage Steven Strasburg. Now, you do have to take advantage of guys that are struggling, and Williams did with a couple of hits. Austin Dean, the day before, had a couple of hits. So maybe there's something there, but are the Cardinals going to be able to get a league average hitter out of that group? I don't think they are. The one guy that's capable, in addition to Carlson, of being a league average hitter that we've seen him do before is Harrison Bader. And I do think that if they bring Bader back, and then all of a sudden, if you get and we're crossing fingers here and we do want you to weigh in we've got some mic drops and some texts about marp but if you have a league average guy in bader and you have carlson in right and edmund in left and we know what the infield is although de young has really struggled but if you can have five or six or hopefully even seven hitters rather than four your team's going to be a whole lot better off, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Let's get a mic drop or two, and let's hear from Matthew on 101 ESPN. It's funny how one day gets everyone all fired up. I think Carp, if he plays every day, which I hope not, he's probably going to hit 175 with 10 home runs. He's going to strike out a ton. He's going to get some walks, and we're going to be vulnerable at second base. And we don't have good enough starting pitching to have a weak second base. We passed on Wong. Strasburg was hurt last night throwing 90 miles an hour for a fastball so they do what was coming I I disagree I don't think it's going to change much well like we've said we're relying on hope here we, we hope that Matt Carpenter can show something and I'm not talking about him being a top 10 MVP guy if, if he can get to league average that would be wonderful the likelihood is Matt said 175 last year he hit 186 that's probably more likely and this all stems from the comments that we played earlier in the show and we played yesterday from colonel's manager mike Mm -hmm. schilt who talked about carpenter making hard contact and having a good swing and how 
he's been unlucky, I'm paraphrasing, but that he's going out there and doing the right things and eventually things were going to fall into place for him. I think the phrase he used was bountiful harvest. Yeah. And so we see him get the home run last night. We see the reaction from the team. And the question was, do you think that a bountiful harvest is indeed coming for Matt Carpenter? And while I think that maybe a little momentum will help get him rolling, I don't know if I see a bountiful harvest coming. The thing is, you can hit the ball hard, but if you're hitting it into the shift on a regular basis, that's what the shift is there for, for guys that do pull the left-handed hitters that pull the ball hard. That's why the shift was developed, Mm -hmm. and he is a victim of the shift. He definitely is not taking advantage of the ability to go the other way. I know you have some texts. Absolutely. From the 618, rooting for Carpenter to fail is like rooting for the team to fail, just so you can point the finger and say, look, I was right. Carpenter is a future Hall of Famer. Appreciate him for what he's done and be happy when he does something, because that means you're getting some value for his contract. And it's a future Cardinal Hall of Famer. Right. Future Cardinal Hall of Famer. Correct. And I do think that there's a chance, because you mentioned the other outfielders, there's a chance that the Cardinals could field their best and most efficient lineup with him because we don't know what the other outfielders like Dean and Williams are at this point. But there's a chance that he could be better offensively than those guys are. This is from the 314. So Carpenter's one good night replaces the last three years. Well, we are a re- reactionary business. And like you said, we're reacting to what the skipper said that. He's never seen a guy hitting worse luck than Matt Carpenter. So, yeah, you do react to good nights. And Mike Schill does have a point. He has had some hard hit balls that have not fallen his way that maybe in other scenarios would have. But as we mentioned, if the results are not there in a results-based business, at some point you have to give hope the kick out the door and you have to try something else but i'm glad to see him at least have some production because they need it and hey let's be clear here we aren't well well, we can all hope but we aren't expecting that matt carpenter is going to hit 318 with an 873 ops and hit 55 doubles like he did in 2013 we aren't expecting that he's even going to do what he did uh, three years ago when in 2018 when he had an 897 OPS and hit 36 home runs. What we're hoping is that he can have his average year in Major League Baseball. If, if he could have his average year or even somewhere close to that, we would all be thrilled, I think. Uh, just let me give you his 162-game averages, Michelle, and tell me if you would take this from Matt Carpenter in in 2021 mm-hmm. uh, 266 average 370 on base 456 slug 827 OPS 20 homers 75 RBS if he would get close to that if he'd do a third of that I would be absolutely beside myself with joy we would be thrilled if, if he could produce those numbers yeah thrilled and that's not what we're saying is going to happen but can he hopefully be better than he was last year hopefully Someone, by the way, Randy, texted in from the 314. We're trying to develop, develop the four pillars of character yeah. and moment. One is all roads lead to hardware. The other one was... Deflect blame at all costs. Deflect blame at all costs. From the 314, they said maybe one of your pillars should be hope. Hope is a good one. But we don't want to rely on hope. But it could be a pillar because we use it. Yeah, we do. But only because we're forced to. 
in situations like this, we're forced we're to rely. People. We're forced to rely on a hope because of the scenario and the player and the production that we're talking <laughs> about. Um, from the 417, one more. When Carp goes, the whole team goes. Oh, you go, we go. You go, we go. The new Dexter Fowler. 14 runs when he homers. Emily, you wanted to weigh in? I was just going to say, I f- kind of feel that all roads lead to hardware might be hope. Yeah, you're right. It's relentless okay. positivity. Okay, that's a good one. Relentless positivity. That's another great uh, idea to use for because a Because if we say all roads lead to hardware, that means that we're relentlessly positive. Yeah. We're hoping all of the time. Good points. Good points by all of us. All right. Thank you, Emily, and thank you, Michelle. And this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, new entries into the Mascot Hall of Fame. We're going to talk mascots next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Quick note about tonight's hockey game. Peter Baugh, who covers the Avalanche, used to cover Mizzou for the Athletic, and now he covers the Colorado Avalanche, reports that the Avs had a positive COVID-19 test in their most recent round of testing, and Coach Jared Bednar said on Altitude Radio that players are feeling some fatigue after receiving vaccines this week. There won't be a morning skate today, and hopefully there is one player that um, has to sit out for them, and hopefully where's 29. Brandy. I'm just saying. Uh, did you know that four hours and 18 minutes down the road from St. Louis in Whiting, Indiana, there is a mascot Hall of Fame? And one of the members of that Hall of Fame is the Philly Fanatic. Uh, Brad Thompson of the Fast Lane here mm-hmm. on 101 ESPN. He'll have the call of the Cardinals and Nationals this afternoon on Fox Sports uh, Bally. Bally. Sorry about that. I I caught myself. Bally Midwest. Uh, BT's, one of his favorite co-workers is a mascot. He's with us now uh, on Carriker and Smallman. BT, good morning. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Four hours and 18 minutes away, you say? Like, this is a must-do. I got to get in on this. This is very cool. And some of the people, some of the mascots, they aren't really people, Mm -hmm. that are in the Mascot Hall of Fame include Mr. Met, the Fanatic, Slider from the Indians, Slugger from the Royals, (laughs) Benny the Bull, uh, Yuppie from Montreal. It's awesome in Whiting, Indiana. Real quick, I feel like you're missing a very important one, and I'm sure it was just an omission. I mean, Fred Bird has to be in there, correct? Has to be, BT. I mean, who has the range that Fred Bird has? Fred Bird is a painter, Fred Ross. We've seen Fred Bird doing housework while also tending to his mascot duties, ironing out there. I don't think any of these mascots have the versatility that Fred Bird brings to the table. He can host a TV show. That's right. No, I host a TV show. Me and you, man. We're the only ones that do the speaking parts. He just kind of hangs around. Everybody thinks it's called the Fred Bird Show, but it's not, okay? It's the Brad, not the Cardinals Kids Show. <laughs> and we get to see that on Bally Sports Midwest. I, I wanted to have you on. Go ahead, BT. No, I just said you nailed it with the Bally Sports that time, Randy. Good Thank call. I'm, I'm proud of myself here. All right, I want to have you tell your story, and it has to be in a cleaned-up fashion, about the Fanatic. Well, first of all, I am a huge fan of the Philly Fanatic. Uh, He's iconic, and as you mentioned, he's in the Hall of Fame. When I went to the Cooperstown Hall of Fame, he's in there too, uh, trapped in a little box. He must be uncomfortable. But uh, So we're playing in Philadelphia, and this is, uh, it it had to have been, oh, maybe 09, maybe Jason Mott's rookie year. 
And so Jason Mott was in the bullpen, and at the time, Major League Baseball has levied rules now that you can't do this anymore. Uh, they don't like the uh, public, public humiliation aspect of it. But Motter was wearing the pink backpack in Philadelphia on his way out to the bullpen. The pink backpack was full of various snacks and whatever anybody in the bullpen wanted. It went in there, and, and Mott would uh, carry it out. Well, the, the uh, Philly fanatic... He made a, a big to-do about the backpack. It was funny. I mean, he's doing it up. He's pointing, doing the fake belly laugh, and it's jumbling all over the place. He's getting all of the fans on the third base side into it, and they're all yelling at, yelling at Jason Mott. But then, and totally out of character here for a mascot in general, the Philly fanatic gets his big face in the face of Jason Mott and says, nice backpack, you blank and blanker. Two words that I would, if I said them, I'd be fired. I'd never work again. Uh, but the Philly mascot got in there a little bit on Jason Mott. And Motters, he looked at all of us. We looked at each other. What, what, what do you do? You, you fight a mascot or, or, or you laugh it off? Jason Mott being the good guy that he is, he laughed it off a little bit. But that is like one of the favorite things. I've never heard words like that uttered out of the mouth of one of like the most beloved mascots ever. Like I saw that. And then I see a kid in the second row, like hugging a stuffy of the Philly fanatic. <laughs> it just felt like two different things. Uh, but the Philly fanatic is fantastic. But that is one I will never, ever forget him just getting in there on the pink backpack of Jason Mott. BT on brand for Phillies fans, I would think for the mascot. But I want to know if the Philly fanatic would have persisted continuing to get in Jason Mott's face or maybe in your face. How far would have it have had to go for you to have a rage blackout moment with the fanatic? I just don't, I don't know how I don't know how you can table that afterwards. Like when you're talking to the you're gonna be you're gonna be fined and you're gonna be suspended. Like how can you say, Yeah, but the Philly fanatic said this, like you beat up a mascot in front of fans. You can't do that. So I, I don't know. I will say this, like I, I feel like there's only so many buttons you can push, whether you're a, a human being or a mascot. So at some point there's probably a tipping point. But I don't think the Philly fanatic wanted to go that far. The Cardinals bullpen was not going to be jumping a fanatic because that's something that you'd see forever. Like that would be up there in mascot lore of like the uh, uh, wasn't it the the Nuggets mascot uh, that, uh, that that passed out coming down from the ceiling? Like you'd remember that or the Moose for Seattle who broke his ankle against the wall roller skating. But, uh, we didn't need that, so uh, we weren't going to be pushed that far. And we had uh, cooler heads prevail, Michelle. And by the way, folks have to go to the, the the Fast Lane podcast brought to you by I Promise. You told a great story about a minor league mascot last week with Carmen Cali, and people can find that on the Fast Lane podcast as well. Yeah, that was a fun one, too. Yeah, you, you could go dig for it, but it was Muddy the Mudcat. Muddy the Mudcat, uh, just, uh, he went too far, and the bullpen had had enough. And Carmen Cali, uh, well, uh, let's just put it this way. Carmen Cali, lefty reliever for the Cardinals, hard thrower, strong dude. Uh, Carmen Cali was greeted after the game uh, by Muddy the Mudcat, head in hand, and two police officers. Awesome. <laughs> hey, BT, one quick thing before you go, and you're going to be on the call today with Danny Mack. Uh, your thought, thumbs up, thumbs down on woos at the end of games. Look, I um, I, I got to tell you, it's uh, I'm not the biggest woo fan. But if you're going to come to the ballpark, you're going to spend your money, and you want to woo, then then you woo, I guess. I got a lot of messages last night, guys, uh, texts, tweets, 
say, will you please shut up the ruling people? Got one tweet actually do this. It was directed to me, Danny Mack, and Valley Sports Midwest. And it said something to the effect of, if your people can't figure out how to stop the wooing in the crowd and mute that, I can't watch. Do you think our people are magicians? Like they, like they could just magically, oh, let's get rid of the woos, but keep the crowd noise. Hey, it's what the people want. Where are you guys at on the woos? Big time negative, BT. Yeah, from, I'm not a woo guy either. From the perspective of me on my couch, it was very distracting and very annoying. Okay. All right. No, it's fair. It's fair. I'd rather just hear, like, the cheering from the nine-run fifth inning the whole game. I, I like stuff like that. But that's the thing with the wooer. Maybe you guys can, uh, you know, throw out a, a little signal here to the text line or the mic droppers. One of the wooers is listening right now. You know they are. Like, who started that? Who is the one that, that gets in there at the ball game last night and said, I'm going to be the first woo, and this is going to catch on. Watch. Billy, I've had seven beers. Check this out. I'm going to woo. <laughs> Like, who is doing it? You know, it's one person that's starting it. I want to find out who that is, and you guys are, uh, it's your task now. We'll find out. Yeah, BT, try this on for size. I had tweeted this last night that the Woo people must be identified and be forced to do a post game and explain themselves. And someone immediately responded saying, I know one of them and I'm embarrassed. So you're right. People are aware of the identity of the wooers and they need to expose them. I think it's like anything else in the world. Like, we know things that are okay out in public. We know things that are not okay out in public. But people are going to continue to do what people do unless others call them out. So uh, I'm not going to do it because, look, I want to make nothing but friends. Uh, (laughs) But if you have uh, somebody that's wooing next to you, give them – you don't have to say anything. Give them the stank eye if you want to. Like, like something to make them feel a little uncomfortable about the woo. Definitely. BT, thanks for your time. We'll be watching today. Go Cards. All right. Sounds good. You guys enjoy the rest of the show. And, uh, yeah, let's pick up another winner. That was fun last night. That was awesome. Good job. See you, brother. Thanks. See you, guys. That's Brad Thompson. You can hear him afternoons, most afternoons, in the fast lane, 2 to 6 on 101 ESPN. And, of course, he'll have Cardinal Baseball with Danny Mack this afternoon at 12. Always love having BT in the booth with Danny Mac. They're outstanding together. Can you imagine being a rookie and having the fanatic just get in your face like that? No, especially guys who are very competitive and intense and know that they can definitely beat up who's ever in the Philly fanatic costume. For the Philly fanatic to have the audacity to step to the Cardinals bullpen like that, knowing that they can't beat him up is very unfair. We're going to provide you with Carriker and Smallman's top 10 mascots. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Here is your Cardinal lineup for today's series finale against Washington. You've got Adam Wainwright on the hill. Thanks to Adam for joining us earlier today on Character and Smallman. Wednesdays with Waino. You can hear him every Wednesday on this station. So we look forward to that every week. Great conversation with Wainwright. And check out Big League Impact because he and some of his fellow Cardinal teammates doing great things in St. Louis. So Paul DeYoung is getting a day off, day game after a night game. Mm-hmm. Here's the lineup. Edmund and Wright, Goldie at first, Arenado at third. Then Molina. Game number 2,000 with the Cardinals. Carpenter at second and Justin Williams hitting sixth in left field. Lane Thomas in center field today. Sosa is your shortstop. Edmundo Sosa and Wayno on the hill. So there's your Cardinal lineup. Doesn't it just feel like it needed to be Adam Wainwright to Molina for Molina's 2,000th game? it's, It's 
appropriate. It is the way it should be. It is no the doubt way it should be. All right. We have our top 10 mascots, Carriker and Smallman. And let's put our bottom mascot in there first, Michelle, because you have one that you feel very strongly about. There is no mascot in sports that is scarier than the Pelican's King baby cake or the kink it's from the king cake it's the king cake baby is what it's called have you seen this i have seen it the and king it is cake scary. baby is horrific and it's unnecessary it i understand new orleans mardi gras the whole bit you're called the pelicans get that baby out of here it is so frightening <laughs> it looks like a newborn that's possessed that, that is coming to suck the soul right out of your heart so i guess it would preclude you from attending a pelicans game my nightmare is that I would go to a Pelicans game, turn around, and that baby is right there. I wouldn't sleep for days. It se- that baby seems like it should be in a horror film. There's nothing scarier. If you want a scary mascot, just know that you're going to be in second place because the king cake baby is already top of the list. Is there anything even close? Not you? even kind of close, no. Because most mascots are funny and congenial like Fred Bird or the Philly Fanatic. They're supposed to be there to engage with the crowd and have fun. There's mm. nothing that this king cake baby does other than exist in a creepy way. <laughs> I can't imagine if you were in the stands at the game and that thing comes up to you that you're excited. I, I would think that kids would really get scared. Yes. So, yeah, probably not a great way to do a mascot. So we're going to count down our top 10 then. Okay? Want to do that? Let's do it. I know you have the list. I do. And number 10, Michelle, uh, and this was tough because, like, we left the Billick and we left Truman the Tiger out. Honorable mentions. Does Truman really get an honorable mention? Well. Listen, this is not me being a Mizzou hater, but I do have something to say about Truman. Okay. I love his name. Love the animated version, the animated version of Truman. But sometimes, Randy, I see Truman, and it looks like Truman had too many pops at after hours and fell asleep on the couch. He's in and, Columbia. and his buddies drew on his face with Sharpie, and he tried to wash it off, and he can't get it off. I would just like to see Truman maybe get an updated costume. He, it just looks like Sharpie sometimes, a little weathered. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So that's why he's honorable mention. He's not in the top 10. Listen, I don't even have a mascot at my school, so I am not ripping Truman. I think he's a good mascot. I'm just saying it looks like he's had a rough night and has some Sharpie. Number 10, the Washington Nationals president, specifically Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt is the man. He is a great, great mascot. I love when they do the races, how Teddy never wins. There's always some way that Teddy gets fumbled up. I believe he's won once, yeah, maybe twice. There was a campaign, actually a blog called Let Teddy Win for a while that people did, yeah. were really obsessed with. But he's so fun to watch, and I think they do a great job with that. Number nine at LSU, Mike the Tiger. If you've ever been to LSU, you've been to Tiger Stadium, you know how awesome Mike the Tiger is. He has an entire habitat outside the stadium that awesome. people go to visit, and he's an actual tiger. Very intimidating, very regal. Number eight, Brutus Buckeye at Ohio State. I think amongst college mascots, Brutus might be at the top of the list for me. You take something that's pretty boring in a Buckeye and you turn it into almost a a personification of a Mm. Buckeye. And he's very funny and cool. And I think the fact that Lee Corso puts the Buckeye head on on college game day so many times adds to the legend of Brutus the Buckeye. Number seven, the OG of mascots, maybe a little bit underrated here, the San Diego Chicken. 
Not as familiar. I know you were very big on the San Diego chicken. Very funny. And the original, it was a guy named Ted Giannoulis who started mascots. And the San Diego chicken, if you can find videos on the San Diego chicken, he was awesome. Number six, uh, flip the bird, a double bird to some fans, Mr. Met. Mr. Met is a full-blown celebrity. When it comes to star power at City Field, Mr. Met is it. One time, I was at City Field for Sunday Night Baseball, and I was down in the tunnels. Mr. Met has an entourage. He has people that escort him through through the ballpark. He's a big-time celebrity, and he really, as you mentioned, the, the double bird, he fits the energy of a New Yorker, of a New York yep. baseball fan. Number five, we heard the story from Brad Thompson, the Philly fanatic. Always a good time, always a lot of laughs, and as you also heard, channels the energy of Phillies fans. If if he's going to chirp at the Cardinals' bullpen and say some swear words, that's what I expect out of a mascot from Philly. Number four, staying in Philly, Gritty. Gritty's a legend. I mean... In only like three years. In only three years, Gritty is so good that he's risen to the top five on this mascot list. And I think Gritty is one of the more known mascots throughout sports. And that says a lot. Number three in Kansas City for the Royals, Slugger... Anytime you throw in extra R's, I'm in. And Slugger got sued for... (laughs) shooting wieners from a gun into somebody's eye. So get extra credit for that. Yeah, (laughs) You never take a wiener in the eye. You don't want to, but the person did. (laughs) Yeah, not great. Slugger's fault. I just love that they said, let's call him Slugger, but add a few extra R's. So he's Slugger. Slugger. And Michelle, we have a tie for the top spot. That's right. We're here in St. Louis. Okay. Your tie for number one, the top mascots in all of sports, should be in the Hall of Fame in Whiting, Indiana, Fred Bird and Louie. Or homers. Totally. But Fred Bird is great. I meant everything, and no disrespect to Louie, but I, because Louie is great. Louie hangs out at our station. That's right. Also, when the All-Star Game was in town and a lot of the mascots were dancing and things, Louie mm. put on a show. He did. Louie has great. a lot of charisma. But Fred Bird, who has the versatility that Fred Bird has? Fred Ross doing paintings that Harrison Bader eventually hit. We've seen Fred doing laundry. We've seen Fred, as you mentioned, with Brad on television shows. Fred Bird has been a part of Cardinal Nation for so long. Think about the endurance of a Fred Bird. You know, Gritty came on the scene, and yeah, Gritty was hot. Everybody thinks Gritty's a good time. Talk to me in 20 years. Where's Gritty in 20 years? Fred Bird is the man and has been for a long time. Congratulations to Fred Bird and to Louie. Yes. On being the character and Smallman, top mascots in all of sports. Danny Mac and BK coming up here on 101 ESPN. Thanks, as always, to our producer-engineer, the great Emily Butcher. Thank you. And, Michelle, this was fun for a hump day. It was. I'll see you tomorrow. And Danny Mack will be with us. We'll talk to Greg Amzinger at 730. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. 
TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.